Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It is the biggest week of the college football season. We've got big games all over the place, quarterfinal matchups in Ohio, and of course, three Thanksgiving games going on in the NFL. BetOnline has you covered with all the props, odds, promos, and parlays. Use our promo code BLEAVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode to get a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is Friday, November 25th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However, and whenever it is that you may be listening When I'm recording this right now, it is currently Thanksgiving, and we are going to watch some football while we get ready for more football coming up on Friday and Saturday, because this is the biggest week of the college football season. So we're going to talk about anything and everything that's about to happen in college football, get you set for a Black Friday weekend and a Saturday of abject chaos within the sport of college football. Rare do we do a preview podcast, but this is one of those weekends that warrants a preview podcast, especially a preview of the quarterfinal playoff game between Ohio State and Michigan. So that's going to be coming up all throughout the show today, while we also watch the first half of the Buffalo Bills and Detroit Lions game, because on Thanksgiving, that happens to be the time that I am available to record. So we'll have a a live watch party for a game that, by the time most of you are listening to this, will already have been concluded. So, hopefully you enjoy, and that you will partake in the Thanksgiving festivities, or I guess the Black Friday festivities, here with us. So, as I say every year, it's not Black Friday without a meaningless Nebraska versus Iowa football game at noon, and... I think that this year is the best, the best of what is going on with Nebraska and Iowa. Because for those who haven't been following this year, Blake, Jude, and I have been laughing about this. Iowa, early on in the season, had the worst offense in college football since some of the worst teams in the sport. So like 2014 Wake Forest, which is the team from the famous Frank Beamer throwing up his hands because it's a 0-0 game going into overtime. A one-win 2008 Washington State team. Like, this is one of the worst offenses in the history of college football, or at least it was to start the season. Remember, they uh, beat Iowa State 
10-7. They beat South Dakota State with two safeties and a field goal. There was an analysis that was done that basically concluded that Iowa could have taken the ball on offense, punted on first down as soon as they got it, and there is a case to be made for their offense being equally as effective. It's, it's magnificent. It is absolutely magnificent how those statistics play out because Iowa's offense is bad. Spencer Petrus, who's the quarterback at Iowa, has not thrown for 200 yards in a football game in three seasons. His first start at Iowa, he went for over 200 yards, and in the 35 games since, he has not gone for over 200 yards passing. Um, That Iowa team has a really good defense, and in the Big Ten West, Wisconsin fired their coach, Nebraska fired their coach, you have Illinois with Brett Bielema was in the driver's seat to win the division, and then they've lost three consecutive games in a row. You have a situation where Iowa beats Nebraska in the meaningless Black Friday game, and they get to clinch a spot into the Big Ten championship game with an 8-4 and four record and the worst offense in the conference. Iowa is basically Kirk Ferentz, who's the head coach at Iowa, comes from the Bill Belichick tree of he has concocted a football style that cheats the game where you just don't need offense in order to succeed. It is by design that their offense is bad. It's not designed to be this bad, but it is designed to be bad. And Iowa and Nebraska will play the meaningless Black Friday game that on a sports weekend that, by the way, has... Uh, seven different sporting events happening at the same time. Like this Black Friday weekend is abjectly ridiculous in terms of NFL, NBA, NHL, uh, World Cup soccer every single day and every single morning. There's like seven major events happening at the same time. It's absolutely stupid how many sports there are. The matchup that I want to start off the weekend with is talking about Nebraska and Iowa while watching the Detroit Lions offense of Jared Goff and Jamal Williams try and move the ball up the field against Buffalo as they get sacked by Vaughn Miller on the second play of the game. Just start me. When I'm on your Madden team, brushing the passer and tackling dudes are some strings of mine. Build your game strategy around me because my rating is 99. chance that I get to uh, play the Von Miller 2017 Madden commercial, which is genuinely one of my favorite, ad- I think it's my favorite advertising campaign ever, was when they had him and Antonio Brown and Gronk singing parody songs. Might be my favorite 
ad campaign ever. Any chance I get to play that, I will. By the way, they showed on the broadcast after Buffalo punted the first drive. Uh, Buffalo has punted 22 times this year. The next closest team is at 29. So uh, bouncing off of the podcast that we did last week, uh, the Buffalo Bills should absolutely be better than their 7-3 and three record suggests. And Jamal Williams just scored a touchdown. And like we talked about on our Thanksgiving Spectacular podcast, Detroit Lions offense is actually kind of good. So let's talk about Ohio State-Michigan because uh, the joke I've been making for a couple weeks is that this is the biggest college football regular season game since last year's Ohio State-Michigan game. Because for the second year in a row, Ohio State and Michigan are undefeated in conference play, I believe. Ohio State lost one game in the regular season last year. I don't remember how they ended up losing that game, but... Uh, let's see. Ohio State lost to... Yeah, that's right. They lost the Oregon game. Duh. Uh, they were both undefeated in conference play. Both were ranked in the top five. Michigan was number five last year. Ohio State was number two this year. Michigan's three. Ohio State's two. Both undefeated in conference play. Winner was guaranteed a spot in the playoff because Iowa is the team that they keep choosing to send to the Big Ten championship game, and uh, Michigan beat Iowa by 40 last year, and this year's Iowa team is worse than last year's Iowa team, so whoever makes it to the uh, championship game is going to just be a trancing by either Michigan or Ohio State. So basically, the winner is going to get a spot in the playoff, and the loser last year had no chance of getting into the playoff, so it was a quarterfinal playoff game. And the circumstances this year were similar. The only difference now is that there aren't as many alternatives because there's only going to be one SEC team in the playoff. It's going to be Georgia. And there's only going to be one of the teams between... I mean, there's only going to be TCU undefeated. That's a guarantee. Anyone else, you could make the argument for Michigan or Ohio State losing to each other as their only loss and still getting in as the fourth playoff team. There's an argument that can be made over USC or an argument that can be made over Clemson. Those are the only alternatives that have been provided. So there's a chance that, depending on the result, Michigan or Ohio State both could get into the playoff. But let's operate under the assumption that this is a quarterfinal game. The winner is guaranteed a spot in the semifinal. The loser, it's out of their control whether or not they get into the semifinal. So basically for the second year in a row, you have a quarterfinal game in the in the regular season. And so you've added all the stakes to the game. And remember the thing that I say all the time, sports are stakes and storylines. You got to get invested in stakes and storylines. And rivalries, although there is no true North Carolina Duke equivalent in college football, these types of rivalry matchups always have their storylines involved in it. It's just hard nationally to get super duper invested in some of these storylines you know like it's hard for me to connect to what the ohio state michigan rivalry is but basically what i'm interested in as it relates to the ohio state michigan game because again i'm not an x's and o's college football guy i don't think i've watched more than like four quarters of michigan football all season this year now i do know the last two years michigan has basically gone 23 and 1 and has built up a college football team where they can beat anyone in the sport who is a tier three or tier four program. 
and that puts them in the tier two category. Now we saw last year they got dumped by Georgia in the uh, in the playoff, but they also beat a tier one team in Ohio State with Hassan Haskins and putting up forty whatever points in the Ohio State Michigan game at home. We saw that like Michigan is genuinely a tier two team capable of beating a tier one program like Ohio State. Now was Ohio State having a down year? Absolutely, but I think. Part of the reason they had a down year is because they got tranced by Michigan. So you could point to that and say, Michigan is a tier two program. Ohio State is theoretically a tier one program. They have played in the playoff each of the last five seasons, except for 2000, or sorry, the last four seasons. They've played in the playoff. They missed the playoff the last year of Urban Meyer in 2018, and they missed the playoff last year when they lost to Michigan. But 2019, they made the playoff. 2020, they made it to the national championship game. Even in the years they don't make the playoff, they're still winning 11 games. So Ohio State has been a Tier 1 program for a decade. They won the championship in 2014. They've made the playoffs four times in six years now, I want to say. So they are they are very clearly a Tier 1 type of program. And this year... Again, schedule. They. I don't think they've played a team that has. They've been a, a single digit daw or a single digit favorite against. I think they've been at least a ten point favorite in every game they've played this season, until getting to Michigan. So Ohio State on paper is a better team because they just have more of the four and a half and five stars up and down the roster than Michigan does. Uh, last year, the running joke was that Michigan was four-star Georgia, while Georgia was five-star Georgia and four-and-a-half-star Georgia, and basically that five-star Georgia team pounced the four-star Michigan team last year. And so you come into this year, relatively similar team, Michigan's built on the running game, even though you subtract Hassan Haskins and you subtract a couple of those offensive linemen, Michigan is still an incredibly effective run-based offense, uh, their defense is going to have multiple first-round picks and second-round picks and third-round picks on it, and most of those guys are juniors and seniors now, which is a, a product of why Michigan was able to not, I mean, they, Michigan was able to avoid the letdown game of the one they almost had against Illinois last week, they were able to avoid the letdown game that most tier two teams have. We saw Clemson get as a tier two team, get destroyed by Notre Dame. We saw Tennessee get destroyed by South Carolina, all that stuff we were talking about last week, Michigan was able to avoid that. And because they avoid that, even with a loss to Ohio state, there is still a path to the playoff for Michigan because there's only going to be one sec team this year. And because, you know, USC could win out, be a one-loss conference champion, and I would make the argument that Michigan might be a better team than USC. They'll be either four, and if they're not four, they'll be the five seed at worst, is basically the circumstance Michigan finds themselves in. Same as Ohio State. Worst case scenario, Ohio State is the five seed. Best case scenario, they're the four seed. I mean, maybe they could be the three seed, theoretically. But again... We're talking about incredibly thin margins when talking about who's going to make the playoff from this Ohio State-Michigan battle. So we can think of this essentially as a quarterfinal game. And if you look at the the Vegas odds, if you want to get an idea of how this is going to go without actually doing the X's and O's breakdown, Michigan is a 7.5 point favorite. Currently 60% of the money 
is coming in Michigan plus seven and a half, which means Vegas has a slight lean towards Ohio State around, I would say if you buy up that number, they're shooting for Ohio State by eight to nine points is what Vegas projects as the way to get even money on both sides. And on the money line, the bets are coming in on Michigan outright at currently a number that is sitting at 53%. So Michigan is an underdog, but getting the majority of the money line bets, which means Vegas believes that Ohio State, confident Ohio State will win, difference between eight and nine points is what they're expecting the outcome to be. And it's not a situation where like they're begging people to bet on the they're begging people to bet on Ohio State because they know something about what's going to happen to Michigan, which, by the way, was the case last year. I don't remember the exact numbers anymore, but I remember we were talking to Razor Rosenthal, and and we were saying that, hey, Michigan is underdogs, but most of the money line bets are coming in on Ohio State. I think it was somewhere in the 70-80% range. They were like, they're daring you to bet Ohio State. They want you to bet Ohio State knowing that they that Michigan is going to win. And I think that was a big win for the house last year. This year, they're going the opposite direction and saying, at Ohio State, Ohio State has more four-and-a-half and five-star guys than Michigan, although the number is closer than it's been in past years. We're going to bet on Ohio State this year. And we're going to bet on Ohio State to win outright and by multiple scores. And I think that's interesting because I don't want to do the whole rah-rah, oh, Ohio State's your daddy type of situation. What I am interested in, though, is now the storyline of the streak has passed. And there was that close call, I want to say it was 2015 or 2016, when uh, in overtime or double overtime, Michigan converted a fourth down, but they marked him short or they gave Ezekiel Elliott a first down when he was short and Ohio State ended up winning. Um, There was that close call, but for really 10 to 12 years, the storyline has been around Michigan and Ohio State. And I'm going to kind of pivot now from talking about the stakes to talking about the storylines, because the stakes are pretty straightforward. We just laid them out over the last 10 minutes. Winner is in, loser is does not control your own destiny. If you'd asked me the question seven days ago, I would have said winner in, loser out. Because I thought for sure Tennessee would win out and get into the playoff, but then they lost to South Carolina and Hendon Hooker tore his ACL. And so now you've taken that away, and it makes it a possibility that the loser of Michigan and Ohio State will get into the playoff. I don't know what the exact probabilities are, because I think the outcome of the result will matter in terms of how badly they get kicked, how badly one team wins or loses. So. I look at that and say stakes are pretty straightforward. Winner is in the playoff. Loser has a chance of making the playoff, but they don't control their own destiny. They need either TCU or USC to lose to feel pretty good about their chances. And so you're looking at a situation with the storylines of the game where Ohio State-Michigan are playing with the same circumstances as last year. But now the streak has passed. And so when you're building this conversation around this game and you have all the same stakes, 
it's the biggest Ohio State Michigan game since last year's Ohio State Michigan game, which that one was probably the biggest since the one six years before. And then before that, it was like 20 years because Michigan was really bad at football for 15 years between 2009 and, or 2005 and 2019. Michigan was really bad at football. And uh, Ohio State won 15 years in a row in that rivalry. Again, like one close call in between with the Zeke Elliott game. But for the most part, that year, Michigan. Didn't the Michigan same circumstance? They've played three meaningful games in the last 15 years in terms of national stakes and national storylines. Ohio State and Michigan have played three meaningful games in the last 15 years, and Michigan never got to play spoiler on Ohio State any of those seasons that Ohio State was winning national championships and going to the playoff and all that stuff. So, what I'm interested in for the storyline aspect of it is. Now that this is no longer about breaking the streak, what is the storyline we derive from this game? And of course, it's the day of that we're recording this or the day before. So maybe the storyline has already been written as it relates to driving interest. And maybe stakes will do enough to get us interested in the game. But I'm interested in what the storyline is going to be now for this rivalry because I assume Jim Harbaugh is going to still be at Michigan for at least the next three years. Again, maybe an NFL job does come calling or he postures for an NFL job, but I would assume that Jim Harbaugh, despite the fact that he's gone 23-1 and in his last 24 games, I presume that Michigan is a space where Jim Harbaugh is too good for any other, or Jim Harbaugh is too good to get fired, and Jim Harbaugh is not good enough to get a better job. Like the NFL has already tried Jim Harbaugh, even though we had massive success, the end in San, in San Francisco was incredibly messy. And I don't think... He's postured for NFL jobs last year with the Raiders. He postured for the Bears job a couple years ago. Like I think the NFL has decided they're not going down the Jim Harbaugh path anymore. And so Jim Harbaugh's in a space where like this is a dream job and there is no other job up the scale that he's going towards it was the reason why prior to last year him and Michigan agreed on a contract extension that had him receiving a slight pay cut was because they couldn't do better than Jim Harbaugh Jim Harbaugh couldn't do better than Michigan so they adapted and improved and two years later they've now firmly established themselves as a tier two team and give it four more years, maybe they become a tier one team because they start bringing in the four and a half and five stars the same way Ohio State and Georgia do. But for the time being, I'm going to operate under the assumption that Jim Harbaugh is going to be at Michigan for the next three seasons. Does this rivalry become more even? And does this rivalry become one where we look at it for the next generation of college football, the one that's going to have... Clemson as a tier two program where Georgia occupies a power vacuum at the top and Ohio State is a clear second and we're waiting to see if there's another tier one program that emerges but in actuality it looks like there's a whole lot of tier two programs that could lose any given week like Michigan almost did last week to Illinois like TCU almost did to Baylor and a bunch of different teams 
uh, like Cincinnati did a couple times last year, like Notre Dame always does when they go undefeated, but it feels like they're the fourth team out of four in the playoff or what Oklahoma used to do. seems like we have more Tier 2 programs and not a lot of Tier 1 programs, and that power vacuum is Georgia and everyone else, and Ohio State kind of occupies the second team who I assume if Georgia and Ohio State, which is the most probable national championship game right now, if Georgia played Ohio State, I would presume Georgia would be a four-point favorite or a seven-point favorite on a neutral field. So if that's the circumstance we're in, and Michigan's a Tier 2 team and Ohio State's like bridging the gap between Tier 1 and Tier 2 program, then does this become a more even rivalry? Do we have matchups where the point spread gets a little bit closer together? Do we have back-and-forth trades between the two? where you've got Ohio State winning this year and Michigan winning the year after. And, you know, we look up six years from now and it's four Michigan wins and three Ohio State wins or four Ohio State wins and three Michigan wins. Because if that's the case, I think that's going to be incredibly fun to watch. I think you can derive storylines out of both of those teams being even, even though the Jim Harbaugh versus Ohio State thing has kind of been worn out. And I think now that they beat Ohio State, that narrative's gone. So now we have to start building up a new narrative because I didn't realize just how much that whole storyline of Jim Harbaugh can't beat Ohio State or Jim Harbaugh can't ever get good enough to compete against Ohio State. Like, I never realized just how how much of a storyline that was driving the college football conversation. And maybe, again, this is coming from someone who's watched like six quarters of Michigan football this year. A bit more of Ohio State because I watched that whole Notre Dame game. I watched a good bit of that Maryland game. Uh, I watched Ohio State play. Did, did Ohio State? I'm trying to remember who did. Um, they played someone in the Big Ten West. I can't remember. Was it? Anyways, the point still standing. I think it was Wisconsin, maybe, but point still standing. Like Ohio State has had a Ohio State has had a season in which they are striving for some form of a redemption story. C.J. Stroud isn't going to win the Heisman, but he's putting up numbers that reflect it. They haven't really beat the brakes off of anybody yet. Uh, oh, it was that... Uh, was it? Oh, it was Indiana. It wasn't, wasn't them. It was Indiana that I was thinking of. But, I mean, you look at Ohio State this year, and it's like 45 points against Arkansas State, 52 against Wisconsin, 49 against Rutgers, 49 against Michigan State, 54 against Iowa, uh, 44 against Penn State, the 21-point dud against Northwestern in the Blitz of Snow of Indiana, 56 points, Maryland, 43 points. Like Their offense is really, really good, the same offense that put up uh, what was it? Jackson Smith and Jigba put up 300 yards in the Rose Bowl, and Marvin Harrison Jr. had 200 yards, uh, had 200 yards receiving, and their two best receivers, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, just both sat out the Rose Bowl, and they still put up like 500. They set a Rose Bowl record for passing yards, and then came back this year, and they've averaged over 40 points a game, like. That Ohio State team is striving for some level of redemption, and that's the story you could tell this year, perhaps going into that game where Ohio State is an eight-point favorite. They might beat the crap out of Michigan because 
perhaps this year's Michigan team is not as good as last year's Michigan team, and they haven't been able to replenish the way Ohio State can just lose Chris Olave, lose Garrett Wilson, and bring in Jackson Smith, Ajigba, and Marvin Harrison Jr., and both of them are first-round picks as well. The thing that makes Ohio State a Tier 1 program, which is lose a couple four-and-a-half and five stars, replace them with new four-and-a-half and five stars, and break the Rose Bowl record with your B-team offense. Like, that's what makes Ohio State a Tier 1 program. And, and what Michigan is, it, the problem for Michigan is just you can't become a Tier 1 program in three seasons. It's just not possible. And Michigan was a team that wasn't even a Tier 2 program during the first five years of Harbaugh's run. They had the one year where, again, they almost beat Ezekiel Elliott, but Michigan before that was like, hey, they're, they'll maybe make the Orange Bowl, but most likely they're going to play in the uh, the seventh or eighth biggest bowl game at the the Outback Bowl, or they're going to play at the uh, the Citrus Bowl like they did in 2019 against Bama. Like That was the territory they were occupying before, so you just can't become a Tier 1 program that quickly. And it's the reason why I would be inclined to pick Ohio State to win, is that I've seen Ohio State dominate this season, and I've seen Ohio State win these types of games for eight consecutive seasons. And only a handful of times have they taken the L that prevents them from getting to the playoff. Like, only in a universe where Alabama and Clemson exist does Ohio State not get to be the team that we think of as the premier, premier program of college football. But if you want to think of it within the context of the Big Ten, they're the only program that's consistently bringing in four and a half and five stars from a conference that just got a billion dollar a year television contract as the second biggest conference in the sport. So if you're looking at that from that perspective, I think you can draw the storyline of still Goliath of Ohio State has received a true adversary. Like one year, Michigan State topped Ohio State with that last second field goal and the weird botched punt situation in the Michigan-Michigan State game helped them get to the playoff. But Ohio State is vulnerable only in a universe where Alabama is totally unbeatable. And so I find it super interesting that this game, Ohio State is still the Goliath. Ohio State is the team I'd still bet to win. And then at the same time, you look at Michigan and I'm like, What's it going to look like four years from now? What's the storyline that we're building up? Because we're in a transition period in terms of college football at large because you've taken away Alabama and Clemson at the top, and Georgia has filled that vacuum with Ohio State being a secondary team, but there hasn't been a whole lot else that has really grabbed a hold of either of those teams. I mean, Georgia hasn't lost a conference game other than the SEC championship game against Bama, they haven't lost a regular season conference game in three years. And Georgia's only lost one regular season conference game in four seasons. Like, Georgia is totally overwhelming. They are literally unbeatable. And Alabama and Clemson are still tier two programs at this point. I mean, Bama that is just having a, a consecutive down year relative to what Bama does. But at the same time, like... They'll be back, right? They'll be they'll be a tier two team. They'll be a team that could make the playoff next year with one loss and a conference championship or go undefeated in the regular season. Like it's it's possible, but the last two years the, the next three years look like it's going to be a more consistent 
Bama versus, I'm sorry, uh, a more consistent Ohio State versus Michigan rivalry. So long term, I think we should start building up that storyline. I don't think that matters so much specifically to this season. But long term, I would start building up that storyline of what that's going to be. Because I, I mean, it could be that last year was a one-off victory and Ohio State wins five years in a row. But I would expect that there's a chance Michigan wins another couple games. And again, I'm picking Ohio State this year. But it's not like Michigan is totally outclassed. It's not like this is a a matchup where they're 17-point dogs or anything like that. It's not like they're totally outclassed. Where, like, South Carolina has just beat Tennessee with 63 points and they're 14-point dogs against Clemson. Or, uh, you know, Penn State being 19-point favorites against Michigan State. Or any of these matchups like a USC being a favorite against Notre Dame that's not a great example but points still standing like it's not like Michigan is totally outclassed like Michigan winning this game would be quite shocking based on what all the numbers and projections are saying if Michigan could beat Ohio State but the fact that it's even in the realm of possibility is something that didn't it makes it like I said they've played three meaningful Ohio State Michigan games in the last 15 years I mean this is at least a meaningful game. It's at least got all the stakes and storylines. And so I'd be interested to see how we build up the storyline now that the Jim Harbaugh one is dead because Michigan got their one last year. They made it to the playoff. That was a, a tier two program establishing that making their first playoff under Harbaugh, beating your arch rival, the biggest, like I said, the biggest win in 10 years at the Michigan pro really the biggest win in 15 years in Michigan football. Basically, beating Ohio State was better than winning the national championship because Michigan's come close to winning national championships in the last 15 years. They hadn't beaten Ohio State to eliminate Ohio State from the playoff and them to get in quite like last year. And it could be the same circumstance all over again this year. And uh, I think that's what's going to make this an an interesting storyline to build, not just this year, but over the next four to five years to drive interest in what I think is the most interesting rivalry in college football right now. And I think it's interesting only because of the skill level that those teams have provided in a matchup where I think we could look up and it'd be like seven years. It could be starting in 2021. We look up in 2027. It could be a four and three split between Ohio state and Michigan who wins four, who wins three. Not sure, but I think it's not important to the grand scheme of the fact that these teams are more adversarial than they are necessarily big brother, little brother, like it's been the last 15 years. But I think that's just because Michigan's putting up a product that at least resembles what Ohio State, the machine, at least resembles the machine of Ohio State. And all of this is operating under the assumption that Michigan will be able to continue to get four star and five star, uh, four star four-star and four-and-a-half-star recruits, maybe a handful of five-stars. I know Michigan's recruiting ranking is top 10 for next year. So, you know, this is operating under that assumption and operating under the assumption that Harbaugh will stay over the next three to four seasons to build out a real rivalry against Ohio State. And that even after Harbaugh leaves, the machine will still be intact for at least one to two years afterwards. So... It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next five years of building out this rivalry. And I know that's more of a macro-level conversation uh, than it is this year's matchup specifically. But I think Ohio State's going to win this year's matchup pretty handily because that's what Vegas odds and projections are saying, is that Ohio State's number two in the country for a reason. 
and Michigan's going on the road, which makes it incredibly, incredibly difficult. And Ohio State's uh, Ohio State has the more skilled players and has the motivation. Uh, I guess based on what last year's result is, I'm not going to be the like motivation adds points to the point spread situation, but. I think it just leads me to believe that Ohio State has a better team and more likely than not, Ohio State is going to win that game if they have the better team. Now, a couple years from now, they might not have the better team than Michigan because keeping that machine rolling is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly difficult. And Michigan has proven that they are pretty consistently a Tier 2 program. And if they can consistently be a Tier 2 program for five, six seasons, beat Ohio State twice... At what point do you become a Tier 1 program? It's at least in the realm of possibility, as long as Jim Harbaugh stays. They've at least provided a more adversarial relationship and an adversarial rivalry than the storyline we were building up for six years every year when this game rolled around. Jim Harbaugh can't beat Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh's 0-6 against Ohio State. They haven't beaten Ohio State in 15 years. I think maybe Ohio State wins the next five years, but I think that would be more surprising than an outcome of both of those teams splitting the next six matchups. Or maybe it going four to Ohio State and two to Michigan, or four and three in one direction or the other. I think that's more probable than Ohio State winning the next five matchups against Michigan, but maybe something goes catastrophically wrong, assuming that Harbaugh is still going to be there. If Harbaugh coaches the next four Ohio State-Michigan games, and they continue to replenish talent at the very least at a tier two level where they can beat they can go into this game with 10 or 11 wins every single year I think it'll be at least a more adversarial relationship between those two teams than it has been the last 15 years and I think that's interesting and uh you know now that we have to build up a new storyline for this game I think that'll be interesting as well You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. Three years, I thought you was phony. Got digs, then you flipped it on me. I was thinking you were Carson Wentz. You made your mark, became an MVP. Deep throws, always looking daunting. Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie. It's hard for teams to deny it. When Allen beats double safety, you keep losing to Mahomes. Sitting on the bench, 13 to go. Overtime coin flips turned up wrong. Makes your season seem so marginal. And this year you'll find a way Gonna get past Kansas City Allen and the Bills are gonna be Super Bowl champs 2023 Oh, I wanna run the ball Don't wanna slide I just wanna dive Send me the call And I'll throw the ball I wanna run the ball Don't wanna slide I'm just gonna dive Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. You throw 
a fourth TD. On a dime, you ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. I know I kind of got deep into the weeds there, so uh, let's watch some of the Bills and the Lions game. It's uh, Josh Allen just ran in a touchdown. They're getting close to threatening to blow the door open on this. Uh, Gabe Davis is not doing anything for my fantasy team. That's okay. Uh, we'll, We'll just hope that eventually they throw the bomb touchdown that blows the doors off of the terrible Detroit Lions defense. If you want more Detroit Lions talk, you can check out yesterday's Thanksgiving Spectacular podcast in which we do a long-form conversation about the Detroit Lions. So I'm interested in that team. They're building towards something. They've got a bunch of draft picks, and they don't need to force picking a quarterback during this year's draft. So want to hear a full conversation about that? Check out yesterday's show. Uh, what else is going on in college football? Oh, Notre Dame can ruin another team's playoff chances. <laughs> Notre Dame ruined Clemson's playoff chances. They kind of ruined Syracuse's playoff chances, although they were just the first team to beat Syracuse. Notre Dame ruined North Carolina's playoff chances for a moment, although North Carolina lost to Georgia Tech. They they spoiled North Carolina's undefeated season. Notre Dame could be just total spoiler this year against USC. Um, haven't really found a place to talk about Marcus Freeman again, so maybe we could touch on that real quick because uh, you may remember the post-game show that I did in which I kind of jumped the gun on Notre Dame after week one by saying that, uh, you know, I thought that when you hire a coach who was, you know, a coordinator or someone already in the system to be the head coach without going through an extensive interview process, like when you just immediately promote someone to the head coaching position who is already in the system, that's a circumstance where you're trying to preserve what was already in place. And that's good for a short-term fix, but long-term you're better off doing a full extensive interview process in hiring the next coach. Only because I didn't see a lot of people eager to hire Marcus Freeman. And that trend usually proves to be correct. Now, it doesn't always. Dabo Swinney ended up getting the Clemson job after being the interim. So there's not exactly a, a an exact science to this, but you could point to uh, Clay Helton. You could point to Manny Diaz. Uh, a lot of NFL coaches, the interims, don't have a massive level of success because they are trying to they're trying to keep the system that was already in place intact. And that's a system that doesn't work without a level of existential flexibility to completely change the way things were before because you can't keep the system in place because things are constantly changing and sometimes you don't want to like when Brian Kelly leaves you want to rebuild everything because what Brian Kelly built you're not going to be able to preserve without Brian Kelly in the same exact way and maybe Marcus Freeman has a level of existential flexibility that changes the course of that program but so far haven't seen it um they they almost beat ohio state which was kind of a jump the gun moment but 
Notre Dame, it's going to take them a few years to to build this thing back up. They they might finish eight and four this year and get a bowl game, or go nine and three if they do beat USC, which would be a a big win for the season for them. But that's probably the second biggest game that you're looking at, just because Tennessee losing means USC has a chance to make the playoff now as the last team, and if TCU loses the Big Ten uh, Big Twelve championship game, then USC is basically winning in. You control your own destiny because uh, as, as I see it, and again, I'm, I've been way off here because I didn't see Tennessee throwing up on themselves against South Carolina. I mean, you're looking at a circumstance in which one lost conference champions do get a chance to get in because it was looking like Tennessee was going to get in, Georgia was going to get in, you were going to have the winner of Ohio State get in and perhaps an undefeated TCU or even a one-loss Michigan team get in over an undefeated, or not an undefeated, a one-loss conference champion like USC or TCU. And now that you've removed Tennessee from the equation, there's an extra playoff spot that's open, and USC might be the team that slides in and gets it. So that game actually has a meaning now as, you know, what is it, number four? six USC takes on number 14 Notre Dame it's going to be going to be pretty interesting to watch that one play out and uh, I will also say as it relates to um to USC like we talked about last week super fun team super fun team I'd be okay if they made the playoff over Michigan if assuming Michigan loses to Ohio State if Ohio State loses to Michigan might might have to have a deeper conversation about putting USC in over Ohio State but uh, Ohio State's the second most talented team in the conference or in college football, only behind Georgia. And I think Ohio State playing TCU in the playoff, Ohio State would be like a ten-point favorite going into that game in a two-three matchup. So uh, TCU is going to beat Iowa State. That's that's not really much of a question this week. Uh, man, Detroit's offense. Detroit's offense is effective, but the Lions' offense is slow. It's a bit slow, I will say. Uh, what else is on the docket for this uh, wonderful, wacky college football final week? Uh, you got Tulane playing Cincinnati for the right to uh, play in the New Year's Six Bowl game. This year's New Year's Six team is kind of TCU. I mean, the Big 12 is basically, the new Big 12 is basically just the AAC, but with TCU <laughs> instead of like, I don't know, Navy or Tulane, but yeah, I mean, there's really only three power conferences at this point, and really you could argue it's like two and a half power conferences because uh, Clemson's doing a lot of heavy lifting for that ACC at this point. So it's going to gonna be interesting to watch that one play out. Uh, let's see if Detroit can do something here with Jamal Williams. Nope, four-yard carry. Four-yard carry, four-yard carry, four-yard carry. It seems to be the game plan. Keep Josh Allen off the field. <laughs> Maybe we can cover the point spread against Buffalo. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. I bet you we're going to have a Wired Up this week following Ohio State and Michigan on on Saturday at noon. It's going to be fun to watch. Hope you all enjoy that. It's going to be a lot of storylines to talk about. The stakes are there. We'll see what the storylines turn out to be out of that game because... The way I see it, there's about five teams that can make the playoff at this point. It's Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, and USC. It's going to be really interesting to see which one ends up getting those spots. So thanks for stopping in. Make sure to leave a five-star review, download, wherever it is that you may. 
get your podcasts. I guess Clemson gets to be in this group too, although, you know, Clemson would need some wacky wild result like TCU losing the conference championship game plus TCU losing the conference championship game plus Michigan or Ohio State getting absolutely blown out plus maybe even USC losing one of those games in order for Clemson to get in. But either way, thanks for stopping in, everybody. As always, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.